I'm gonna go get them. You're gonna win today. <laughs> Wait, University of Hawaii colors, go vote. Uh -huh. Anyone know that? Go Warriors. Oh, Hawaii Bowl. Huh? All right, I guess we'll go ahead and start. Oh, um, I'd like everyone to pair up. Partner that you'll be uh, practicing Sorry. palpatory and tactile skills on. She's breastfeeding, so she's. Oh, okay. I'm like. Time in. Okay. Do we need to do this right now? Turn your volume down. Okay. As long as you're not talking to your cat or something. Who's got a history of knee injuries? All right. And you have like positive exam findings? Yeah. Currently, right? Yeah. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. I don't know how good the orthopedics are. All right. Then we, we don't need to see skin yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. Too excited yet. Yeah. Channel the lighter led better. Four o'clock. <laughs> then the lights were down. We're gonna <laughs> injury. So uh, our lovely chief Dr. Chung thought it would be great for you to teach on knee injury. I don't know why. <laughs> but I guess I a few things last year and hopefully it's not too soon for our uh beloved sister who is also dealing with some issues as well but uh let's open up in prayer and uh, since we're talking about knee injuries i just pray for jordan as well uh, heavenly father we thank you for this day and we thank you for um, the opportunity to be in the, the calling of medicine Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to learn these things. Uh, Lord, the human body is a wonderful, um, wonderful, marvelous creation, Lord. The, the biomechanics of all of our joints and the way you've designed it, engineered it are amazing. And at the same time, Lord, uh, there are injuries and they hurt. And uh, we pray that you'd help us to learn these things for the good of our patients. And also we pray for our sister, Jordan, for her recovery from her surgeries, strengthen her heart and mind and her body. These things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So there's a story. Never been the sky zone. Right. Normally you think sky zone trampolines. That would definitely do it. But you know what? The foam pits can be just as dangerous. Let me tell you, okay. foam pits, it shouldn't hurt you. <laughs> but if you're jumping from a high enough platform with the right vector of velocity and force, sustain a large enough valgus stress to your knee to go ahead and tear an ACL, cause a tibial plateau fracture, MCL, whatever, those, all those things, all the things in your knee that create instability. All right, so I'm here with my kids last year, 
trying to give my wife a break. We just had her newborn and there's a pop. And you can do a lot to your knee. Mechanisms are amazing. And the, the knee itself is an amazing structure. Um, and we're, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the, some of the biomechanics. And then understanding biomechanics can help us diagnose which uh, structure within the knee or multiple structures can be affected. So you can see like a benign activity can lead to a number of injuries within the complicated joint. Um, so today we'll review some anatomy, biomechanics, physical exam, and some common knee injuries. A lot of the management of these do kind of funnel down to the same pathway, depending on the severity, like your x-rays, get an MRI, need surgery, go to ortho, physical therapy. So knee anatomy, it's got lots of stuff in there. There's bones, there's ligaments, there's other stuff, the articular surface, the cartilage, the meniscus, bursa, the joint capsule itself. If you, um, now I come from a background in mechanical engineering and this is a marvelous invention. It is so hard to make a joint that works well from two blunt surfaces. Usually we have hinges, pins, um, things like that. But this is literally two stumps held together with ligaments, articular surfaces, and lubricating um, cartilage. So if anything from today, I hope you get a little bit of awe and wonder at our God who is a masterful designer and engineer. All right, so real quickly, some anatomy review. The knee joint is basically the femur, tibia, and patella. Uh, the fibula is right next to it, but it's not technically part of the knee joint, right? Basic review. Ligaments, there's four, there's actually a lot more than these four ligaments, but these are the four main ones we think of when diagnosing an injury and uh, the biomechanics of the knee, right? So. We have the cruciate ligaments, and those are the kind, the ones that cross. So they're called cruciate, like a cross, because they cross each other. And the collateral ligaments on the side that give you stability in the valgus varus um, adduction, adduction uh, movement of the joint. And then the cruciate ligaments, just to look at look at them. So. The bones have a compressive force, basically gravity, and the ligaments have a tensile force pulling against each other. And these two things create wonderful stability. And then the, the orientation of these joints, you can see on the, the right over there, ACL, PCL, anterior cruciate ligament, posterior cruciate ligament, based on their attachments on the plate, uh, tibial plateau and to the femur, create this really neat hinge. Um, we refer to that as a four bar mechanism. And so you have those two fixed bars, which essentially are the attachments on the tibia and femur. 
And as they rotate, it allows for the femoral condyles to glide on the tibial plateau. And it's not just a hinge that stays in one place, but it, it has some translocation as well. And you can see now the ligaments work by tension, right? But if you bring the two points together, they're loose. So they work by being pushed apart. You get like a rope, you know, if you take two ropes of two ends of a rope, bring it together, it's just slack, right? A ligament, as long as you keep it in tension, those two points will stay um, relatively fixed in their distance. And so that's how like the, the angle, even the um, contour of the condyle works with the length and the placements of these ligamentous attachments so that the ACL um, is preventing uh, anterior translocation and the PCL posterior. Also, they kind of cross a little bit too. So there is um, control of internal and external rotation. Anyway, understanding these biomechanics help you to understand why some of our tests we can use to diagnose what ligament is injured and um, essentially one of the important reasons why we rely on our orthopedists because they are bone doctors, but they do study a lot of this mechanics. And when they are fixing these things, they have to make sure that they're replicating the original angles and vectors to reproduce the biomechanics. Otherwise, this complicated joint will not work well. And it'll, it'll have instability or be locked up and not, not very useful. So is that, hopefully that, um, that biomechanics kind of help you moving forward with how you're gonna test. Okay, so next we have the meniscus. They're like two little C's and they sit between the femoral condyles and the tibial plateau. And they provide increased ability to, uh, for the knee to be stabilized uh, between these two bony uh, prominences. Um, and so with the bones, the ligaments, and now with these meniscus, the knee is very stable. All right. And to help all that, those uh, cartilaginous surfaces to stay uh, looped, so to speak, we have the joint capsule, which is a, another amazing part of this joint. Um, the knee has the most extensive joint cap, uh, cavity of the body um, and synovial surface, synovial membrane. That's why like, it has a great ability to get a large effusion when there's an injury because this capsule is rather large and um, it extends from, as you can see, like from the patella around, also uh, superiorly about three to four finger breaths above your knee. And that's why when we're doing like knee injections, um, you can inject a couple centimeters above the patella and you're still in the joint capsule. So that's why a lot of, uh, we're Injection. Many times we have that knee just about in with a slight flexion, but most uh, almost straight uh, 180 degrees extension. 
that pushes this fluid up into here. You have a space to inject, and you're not near any ligaments. Um, when you flex the knee, this joint capsule kind of opens up, and this or the joint capsule kind of deflates. Okay, so moving on to what, why we need to know all this, and it is because our patients they do things like jump into foam pits and. <laughs> And hurt these things anyway. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna run through some common injuries in the adults. And hopefully, we have time to hit. There's a couple extra ones that kids also will think about with kids that adults don't and suffer from. So on the right is like your insidious onset or chronic knee pain. Um, today we're gonna be focusing on left-hand column, which will be like coming in with acute. Like I just did this last week or yesterday. So we have all those things we mentioned already, ligaments, meniscus, uh, the bones. Um, we'll go through each one of these and try to learn something. So to be a good uh, clinician, you want to start a good history and physical. And in one ortho textbook, they say your physical uh, history and physical can be 93% as accurate as like an MRI. So that understanding the biomechanics and the knee, you can get to the diagnosis and you're just using your imaging to confirm what you already suspect. So when they come in, you want to ask for what kind of questions do you want to ask? If you're not sure, you can look on this website. <laughs> what happened? Like, what was the force of the trauma? Yeah, yeah. Let them tell you their story, what happened. Um, and then after you get their version of the story, it's a lot of times just from what they describe you. A mechanism that already um, points you to what the injury is. And then what they are missing, you can fill in with your questions. Where do you feel the pain? Do you have any instability? And that's like if you're standing on it, walking on it, is it giving out in a direction it's not supposed to, right? What do we mean by mechanical symptoms? Yeah, so is it locking, is it popping, is it clicking? And swelling, is the joint swollen? Or is there like, is it the whole joint is swollen? Like you have an infusion? Or do you have swelling just over the bursa or the tibial tuberosity? Swelling, tenderness. And then stiffness, because this might be related to muscles and parts of it that can be touching it and making it stiff. Um, and so physical, there's nine things, and you don't have to memorize it, but this is here just to remind us, like when you're thinking about the knee and I'm approaching the knee and how am I gonna, what do I need to do in my physical exam to do a 
thorough um, evaluation. Again, you might not approach every lead the same because the history pointed you to what you already know. But with a lot of knee injuries, there are um, not just one structure uh, injured. They're all intricately uh, related. And so once you lose the integrity of one structure, it may affect the other. So for example, uh, when I saw Dr. Balbus after my knee injury, it was just like really neat how he described once my, this is my femur and this is the tibia, once I had that valgus stress and pushed it out, and there goes the ACL. Once the ACL is lost, then the medial side of the tibia comes out and knocks the lateral side of the femur. And then you get this compression fraction and the MCL tear. And so one thing doesn't just go, it's like boom, boom, you know, and now you have some bone damage, some multiple ligaments. So um, you may know this is, this is primary ACL, but there are other injury there. Did the ACL, you know, with an ACL, you shouldn't have clicking or popping. If it's just isolated, could you have a osteochondral fracture where the ACL attachment of falls or it's meniscus, uh, things like that. So um, inspection, you might notice ecchymosis, uh, bruising. Um, how did they fall on it? Palpation, where is it tender? Range of motion. Then you have your like specific testing of the different parts, patellar testing, meniscal, ligamentous, gait. Somebody may not realize what they're doing, but a gait, like um, you can use your quads to stabilize the knee joint when you lose some of those ligaments. And so watching someone's gait, you might notice, oh, they're doing something different. Um, and of course, you can have referred pain, back, hips, and feet um, might also be injured or be contributing to it. So um, it helps when you start, examine the unaffected knee first, so you have a baseline of what's normal, okay? So uh, most people recommend go with the unaffected knee first as far as your exam, get a baseline, and then when you test the other, the other knee, the injured knee, you'll get a sense of how far off it is or what is uh, wrong. So um, a couple points on history. So what, what kind of things did you think about when you have a knee effusion? What's that? What side is it on medial? Well, if you remember that joint capsule, the whole knee. So if you have an effusion, the whole knee is going to be swollen. Well, what kind of inflammatory um, versus infectious? Yeah. When in the setting of a injury or acute, or set of versus intracapsule. What's that? Or set of versus intracapsule. Yeah. So when you have an uh, effusion, that should cue you into you have you likely have an interarticular uh, injury. 
So whether that be ligamentous, meniscus, something in the joint capsule is injured and now you're having an infusion, okay? So um, the timing of the infusion can be helpful as well because um, rapid onset, like within two hours of the injury, getting a large effusion, that tends to suggest a ACL tear or an intraarticular fracture, like a, a typical plateau fracture. Well, a gradual onset, like over a day or more, would be more consistent with a meniscal tear. But both of those are intraarticular injuries, right? Um, but the ACLs and fractures tend to cause a more rapid infusion. All right, let's move to ligamentous injury. So starting with the ACL, this is your most common injury. Uh, about half of your ligamentous injuries are gonna be the ACL. And surprisingly, about 70% are in non-contact situations. Uh, you, you can actually find some pretty funny YouTube videos of people just like goofing off, doing a little hacky sack, playing with a ball, and they just, they look fine, and they just come down where, and damn, they rip their ACL, and they go down, and like, ah, and you're like, it's hard not to laugh at them, because it looks like they did nothing, but it, trust me, it's really painful. Um, tends to happen more often in females than males, especially in adolescent sports, and the thought is, Probably that Q angle is a little bit larger in females. And so there is, um, it's easier for that valgus stress to be exaggerated since that Q angle is already a little bit larger. And so that ACL uh, directly is more easily uh, injured. So sports that we commonly see this would be soccer, basketball, football skiing and so typically what's happening is the knee is blocked up right and if you remember that image with the four bar mechanism when the knee is extended that acl is essentially in its most taunt on um, uh, position and you put some valgus stress on it that's when that's going to get injured right so happens um, also some internal tibial rotation. And like I mentioned, um, with my you get a little translation with your tibia. Got um, so internal rotation, anterior, and that valgus. That'll give you a good ACL injury. So you tap you, it's an intraarticular injury, you're gonna see that joint effusion. If you aspirate the joint, you'll see a hemarthrosis, okay? All right, this is where we're gonna have some participation. Pick your partner. Who's gonna be the doctor and who's gonna be the injured person? And don't worry, there's two tests here. We're gonna practice, switch. <laughs> um, these, hopefully, most of these will be review for you guys. and. Uh, if you're like me, review is always helpful. So we're going to watch a quick video on... Yeah. 
like a little loud, but it makes that. Living limits examination to evaluate the stability of the knee. To do this, we need to have the patient lie down so they can be relaxed. Indeed, we need them to put their head down and relax completely, which relaxes their quadriceps muscles. To evaluate for the anterior ligament, what we want to do is relax the hip so we have good relaxation of the quadriceps and hamstrings, flex the knee about 20 degrees, stabilize the femur, and then pull the tibia anteriorly and posteriorly against the femur. And it's very important to know that in each of the ligamentous injuries, what we're trying to do is we're trying to evaluate an endpoint. An endpoint, if the ACL is sitting inside of her knee, basically you want to pull so you feel an endpoint like the rope is ending, uh, uh, becoming taut inside of her knee. All right, so does that make sense? One, one thing to note in acute setting, the patient is all, often very apprehensive and they're even without them consciously aware, they're using their quad to guard that. And so a lot of times if you're trying to do a Lachman like, um, setting, you may not get a positive result just because they're stiff. All right, so go ahead and take like 15 seconds. Relax your thigh, brother. Relax your thigh. So I've had a lot of the Just relax. <laughs> it's it's okay. a stabilizing yes. <laughs> 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 right? I think it is hard if you don't want the it shouldn't be very hard. It should be able to get a little bit I think it was just Focus back up here. We're going to do a different test. And uh, because of the guarding that you normally will encounter in the acute setting, into your jaw test or the last one that we just did may not be uh, super helpful, but the pivot, uh, pivot shift test is a test that, like, the orthopedist or you'd be doing it, and you kind of catch the patient off guard and you get a positive test. And doesn't feel good, but um, has anyone seen the pivot shift test? Sorry, here we go. This it's a little bit tricky. Doing the multiple motions at once. 
which sometimes is pretty difficult to do when the athlete's knee is sore and is more easily done uh, under anesthetic, but it's still worth trying to do. And basically, the test tries to replicate sensational feeling that the athlete has when they tear their ACL. When we do this test, we take the heel, put the leg into internal rotation, apply a valgus stress, and we take the knee from a position of full extension up into flexion. So internal tibial rotation, valgus stress, extension to flexion. And that should reproduce a, a clunking, disconcerting feeling that is kind of like <laughs> disconcerting. Ow! <laughs> disconcerting is. You guys want to try that? Yeah. It's a little tricky because you got to do that internal rotation, valgus, and flex the knee. I have an ACL replacing it now, but Stress. Really are. They're tough in Australia. So they help like the my Rugby. So that's just disconcerting. It's all that rugby. Disconcerting. Oh, wait till we get to the frog leg test. All right, moving on. So your patient has a normal Lachman, has a normal uh, pivot shift. So let's try the posterior cruciate ligament. So um, this is actually not very common. Uh, in the outpatient setting, maybe 3% of ligamentous injuries. It's often seen in the trauma setting with uh, other concurrent injuries. And like the classic examples, like the dashboard injury, because the mechanism is a strong blunt force to the tibia, uh, directly to the tibia, causing posterior translocation 
and hearing that uh, it's your cruciate ligament. So usually trauma, sports related, happens in football and rugby, high energy mechanism, direct blow to the anterior tibia. Another mechanism, interestingly enough, is falling onto the knee. And it's not just, it's, I'm not tall enough. I need the chair here so you guys can see what my foot is doing. Hopefully I don't injure myself. But um, so if your foot is dorsiflexed and you go down on your knee, the force is coming uh, in a way that is actually being transmitted through the patellar ligament more, um, or the patellar tendon ligament. Whereas if your foot is plantar um, flexed, it's flat, and you come down on it, now the posterior, so um, the posterior cruciate limit is taking that uh, low that way. So a lot of people, um, you can have a fall onto the knee with a plantar flexed foot. So it like comes down hard and, and um, injures it that way. It also can happen with hyperflexion. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, hyperflexion. So you're, it's like you're, that basically the tibia is back. Yeah. Anyway, I'm starting to get dyslexic here. So we're going to look at the posterior drawer test, which is um, not hard, but. So we bend in the up to 90 degrees. Again, we have to get the patient's permission. I'm going to sit in your foot. So we don't want to jump on your foot because it's giving them a fright. First anteriorly and then posteriorly. So anteriorly, solid endpoints, no laxity there. Posterior draw looking at the PCL, very solid, no laxity, no pain. If we think the patient may have a PCL injury, we can do a different test looking for a posterior sag. So we flex both knees up so they're sitting next to each other. And we have a look at the tibial tubercles to see whether they're sitting at the same level. If the patient's injured their PCL, we may see whether the tibia is sitting more posteriorly relative to the normal contraction side. Gravity. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, you guys want to try that? Yeah. Sure. Mark. Give me a fright. Don't get back. It's my posterior. Can I please sit on your foot? I haven't sit like propped up a little bit. I mean, I asked. I think I hurt my John, your your PCL looks. You're getting me a fright. All right. So here's here's one more test for the PCL, which 
for me seems to be like the most satisfying to see uh, because you're not actually doing it to the patient. They're using their own quadriceps. That's sagging right there. Yeah, so you have a sag sign and um, this is called the quadriceps active test or activation test, okay? Oh, and it pulls it up. Look for the tibial sac sign. This is when the tibial sac backwards is femur. From this position, patient will then ask the contact. Oh, it's bad. Ah, gross. That's not a. That is gross. Does that hurt? Not necessarily. Actually, when you have a full rupture, you may not have pain in that ligament. So then doing the drawer with like a good amount of force doesn't hurt them. You just like sorry, white. Depends how acute it is. <laughs> Steve Harvey have to say about uh, <laughs> okay, man, so the anterior movement is the, the thing that's weird. Yeah, so you're the so you kind of already see the sag, just gravity, just gravity. And when they activate the quadricep, which you're basically asking them to straighten their knee, but since you have the foot held down, um, the patellar tendon when the quadricep is activated is essentially going to pull it into where it should sit. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, so, all right, so that is your PCL. So still looking at ligaments, we're looking at the MCL now, the medial collateral ligament. It's uh, most often from contact mechanisms. So this is, you know, you probably learned in med school, the unhappy triad, right? So you get you know, a football player and they get hit from the lateral side and get, as it creates that um, pelvic stretch, that uh, medial, if this is my medial side, that gets the collateral ligament tears and you get ACL tear and meniscus, but looking at the MCL, yeah, this uh, it often happens with ACL. Um, sudden valgus stress, so cutting is like juking or whatever you want to call it. Okay, so that kind of, I'm not going to do it with my bad knee. <laughs> um, so sometimes, because when you're, you're pushing off, you're kind of providing a valgus stress there, and if it happens to too much. Ouchie. Um, so this is one thing you might notice when you're checking their gait. They're using their quadriceps because when they stand on it, that knee now kind of buckles inward. And in order to stay balanced on it, they use their quadricep to lock up that joint. And so they might have like a vaulting gait. And uh, so you, you might notice that. Definitely over where that's torn, there's some tenderness. Um, you may not have a full tear 
and you have that tenderness. And whenever they do something that recreates that valgus stress, it re-injures it or it hurts again. Um, so you, you gotta caution them about those kind of movements. And um, we'll look at this. This is not hard to do. I don't know if we can practice this one, but just for... So the familiar ligament, we apply a valgus stress. So first with the knee is extension. Is there any laxity or pain? Can we take the knee into 30 degrees of flexion, valgus force, any pain or problems with that? So that's rock solid. If there's laxity and extension, we're thinking of much more significant injury than if there's laxity with 30 degrees knee flexion. Uh -huh. That makes sense. Laxity with full extension. So uh, when you bring the knee into 30 degrees flexion, you're isolating that MCL more. You're, you're disengaging the quads, uh, the ACL. Remember the ACL in full extension is taut um, and provides some uh, valgus varus stability. So at 30 degrees though, you might notice uh, instability, whereas at 100, uh, when the knee is fully extended, you don't. But if you do notice that full extension, you're thinking there's a more significant injury, and that's what he's he's pointing out. Um, so you you may only detect that uh, joint instability at that 30 degrees flexion, but if you do at full extension, you're thinking, oh, there's very significant injury here. And so it's it's not hard, um, but you're essentially pushing the knee inward as you're putting the foot abducting it outward that questions for the interest of time we'll, we'll skip practicing that one then to the lateral collateral ligament so this is not very common just think about it. it it does the same thing as the mcl but on the opposite side and there's not a lot of situations where you're getting blunt force from the knee to the medial aspect of your knee. Um, but it, um, obesity is a risk factor because there's a lot of weight and depending on how their, their stance is, instead of a sort of valgus like you're in a sport, that actually creating a various um, stress. This one I do want us to practice because this actually the frog leg maneuver is kind of a new one to me so I learned that prepping this lecture I don't know how many of you are familiar with it but it's interesting um so happens with falls people land on their legs and their knees buckle outward when their feet are too far in vehicle accidents usually accompanied with other injury all right Stress 
side to side difference. So yeah. So essentially that that position allows you with pushing on the knee, it creates a ferrous stress. And if the LCL um, is compromised or torn, the lateral compartment will gap. And so that's what the frog leg does. Now, first thing he did was like, so you can examine them individually and then together. So go ahead and, and try that. Is I know just practicing it once, you'll remember it better. Push your legs. If you've got the bee's knee. There, that, that was better. That was better. <laughs> girl. Feel it? Oh, yeah. Right over there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it tightens up. Right? Yeah. At least tell it. Oh, wow. That's something. Feel it. Okay, you ready? I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it. You're essentially you're opening up the joint and now you feel like okay. them in, sort of bridging across the gap. When you push down, yeah, you put the bigger stress in. You put right. you I feel like you're hitting my IT. <laughs> Ferris is bad. What's that cue angle? There's the like hash out. Sorry. That's right. My IT band is It takes you like to your My hammies are like a British school. I got pretty Exactly. What are your goals? You know, a lot of guys that would be harder. I'm just trying to remember. I feel like you're doing it. Not good techniques. All right, good job with the frog test. How many of you were able to feel the LCL? Have you, have you felt it like that before? No. Isn't that interesting? Like, actually, this has got a really good one. If it does have a good one. Bow strings across that. Anyway, moving on, we finished our ligamentous exam. And now we're thinking, okay, all these ligaments are intact. 
but where's this pain coming from? So let's check out the meniscus, right? So the history with meniscus tears, um, a lot, you know, if it's a con concomitant injury with the ACL, you're having a similar mechanism there. But by itself, if you have an isolated uh, meniscal injury, it's often with um, hyperflexion. Maybe you didn't tear your PCL when your knee was hyperflexed, but you hurt the meniscus or twisting. You know, oh, I, I uh, was twisting to grab something and then like my knee popped, you know. And this is like the classic one for ongoing symptoms of like, oh, my, my knee, like it catches and I can't like straighten out. So it locks or it pops or it feels like something's being pinched, it's catching. Um, you typically have joint line tenderness. Because remember, it's like meniscus are those C's that are lateral and medial. And these, these tests are super fun uh, for the patient. No, but <laughs> when they're positive, you're like, they're, they've got a high sensitivity, especially this Thessaly test, um, which is not one I learned in medical school, but is that orthopedics for using now. So let's just look at the McMurray test and Apley test. I think you guys are probably all familiar with these, right? Just a long intro. Make it any faster than that. <laughs> McMurray's test involves full flexion, valgus, and rotation, or full flexion, internal rotation, and uh, a various force moving from flexion to extension. So that's McMurray's test. Yeah, so do you notice he did um, internal rotation, external rotation, uh, and varus valgus, right? Because you actually can isolate the medial meniscus, lateral meniscus. So the, um, you'll, if you're doing the varus stress, you will be checking the medial meniscus and checking that right. Uh, varus, yeah. That makes, that makes sense because if you're pushing the knee outward, that is going to cause the uh, femoral condyle and medial tibial plateau to compress. And if you've got a meniscal injury there, you'll have the pain. Versus valgus is going to compress the lateral compartment and cause pain there. Okay. Mm. So um, this is 78 to 84% accurate. I'm going to jump to the Apley. These two are pretty easy to do, the McMurray and Apley. The groin test, the test. So it's a meniscal test. We stabilize the femur, apply an axial load through the, the heel and through the lower leg, and we move the leg into external and internal rotation, seeing whether that aggravates the patient's symptoms. Aggravate the symptoms. So let's practice that one. Aggravate the 
I would do this in 30. test you know i don't know if you've seen those like old movies where people are like doing the twist this is essentially the thessaly test okay so on the the injured knee you have them um you start them at five to have them not lock their knees but five degrees flexion and you have them internally externally rotate you're usually holding their hands so they can balance whoever can do this without holding anything extra credit that kind of sore I have a positive on the left. <laughs> um, and we can watch the video, but if you have soreness right now, get your meniscus checked. <laughs> You're on one foot. You're not doing it this morning. Slightly bending that knee? Yeah. Yeah, I think we should watch that scene from Pulp Fiction. So, so you have them start at five degrees, like real mild flexion, and then if it's they don't have any symptoms, you have them do it again at about twenty degrees. So yeah, you it kind of like the MCL one where you start with, you know, you, you might only catch it at thirty degrees flexion, but extension of it. So five degrees, 20 degrees. I mean, in my mind, I'm just thinking minimal flexion and then a little bit more. I'm not down there measuring 20 degrees, but don't go past 30. I don't want to know what happens then. I don't know. Okay. So Thessaly test is a good test. It's easy to do. Um, and that actually is the most accurate of those three meniscal tests, okay? So that one can be up to 94% accurate. Okay. Um, teller dislocation. Uh, so this, if you think about it, because of the Q angle, the quadricep has a, it doesn't pull on the patella straight up. It kind of pulls it slightly lateral so most of the time for patellar dislocation injuries it's a lateral injury okay and um this is often in baseball swinging gymnastics um and it's usually with a foot planted and some internal rotary twisting cords is applied to a flexed knee okay the knee 
It's not going to happen when your knee is straight because essentially the quadricep has got it already pulled up. But when it's flexed, that patella is sitting in the trochlear groove and it's not totally up yet. Um, and so there's a picture. Oh. <laughs> Ouchie. Um, the patient, check this out. The, the patient might say, my knee just gave away. right and and uh you could probably not do that again okay so there's the patellar apprehension test pretty straightforward um you are providing a lateral uh displacement um as uh, the knee is extended that's our favorite guy. So when people dislocate your kneecap, they dislocate laterally almost always. So can we push the patella laterally as we're flexing and extending the knee? The positive test is not so much pain, it's more a sensation that something bad is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and if you dislocate it, um, the way to set it back is to hold it laterally as you put the knee back into extension. Don't just push it. Okay. Hold it laterally, extend the knee fully, and then slide over. All right. Um, we'll rush through the rest of these. Um, those are your main like tests you can do. Uh, the rest of these injuries are going to be a lot of more simple history and physical that don't have provocative maneuvers. Um, extensor mechanism rupture. So the extensor mechanism includes the quadricep muscle and tendon, the patella and the patellar tendon and the tibial uh, tuberosity, right? Those are all the connection points. And if you lose a, any have any injury along this chain, so to speak, you'll basically lose the ability to straighten your leg to ex uh, extend it. And so patients will have a hard time bearing weight because somewhere in that linkage is injured or ruptured. Okay. So when it comes to tendon ruptures, um, typically it's older folks with comorbidities, especially with chronic steroid use, there might be some tendon underlying chronic tendinopathy that this happens, right? So, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, diabetes, uh, obesity, kidney disease, gout, um, steroid use. Now in the group that's not older with comorbidities, it tends to be from, from landing, jumping from a high height, you basically have a load on the extensor mechanism that's just too great of a force and the tendon ruptures or the 
propeller attachment, a pulse, and there it goes. Um, if it is the quadricep tendon that ruptures, this is the, imagine it, the, the patella is in tension between uh, two tendons and based on which side of the patella is ruptured, whether it's the patellar tendon inferiorly or the quadricep tendon superiorly, if it's the quadricep tendon, its attachment is no longer pulling it, so the patella sits inferiorly, and you likely have some swelling near the prepatellar bursa. So that's what this is pointing out. Patella for quadricep tendon rupture, this patella is sitting more inferiorly than normally would sit, and you have a bursa here that is swollen. Um, moving on from patellar or quadricep tendon ruptures, we have patellar fracture. Uh, this tends to happen more in your younger population who ha uh, hasn't reached skeletal maturity yet. And you may palpate a bony edge to that patella, but the, the swelling, might, um, swelling might obscure that. You'll definitely likely have hemarthrosis if you aspirate this knee joint and uh, tends, um, whether it's a patellar fracture or an avulsion fracture of the quadricep or patellar tendon, those are all possibilities. Um, technically, the tendon is attacked, it's just a surgeon. The, and then moving inferiorly, uh, the extensor mechanism, this is showing an avulsion of the which Yeah, the tibial tarothy. So this would be in a, like a, a younger patient as well who doesn't have um, a solidified tibial tuberosity. Their bones are still growing. Abulsion, ouch, hurts. Okay. Okay, all those look normal, but you still get some clunking or locking. Maybe it's an osteochondral fracture. Maybe part of the cartilage in a little piece of bone that the cartilage is attached to has been fractured. And that disruption can be enough to cause a lot, like instead of a smooth gliding of the condyles on the tibial plateaus, they notice something feels like it's in there. Uh, may not be locking, or maybe it is. Maybe it's a big enough piece that's just floating around in there. It's just totally locking it up like pebbles in a ball bearing. Um, you lose smooth motion or you get catching. Now, if it's just a chondral defect, like just cartilage, you may not see it on an x-ray and you have to have a high suspicion to go ahead and order an MRI that's gonna see that uh, cartilaginous uh, injury disruption if it, it doesn't include the base of bone underneath it, all right? Then uh, this is the last one for adults, tibial plateau fracture. This is similar to uh, MCL injury. Um, you get a blow through the lateral aspect enough that uh, maybe that MCL held on. And so instead of the MCL giving, what happens is the um, lateral compartment, those two bones hit each other hard enough go ahead and create this fracture here. So imagine these bones come in with that valgus stress, but instead of that MCL giving, those two bones are mashed together 
you get that tibial plateau fracture. And oh, I have it on there. I was going to ask, what might you see in your aspiration here that would be different from the plain old MCL, ACL tear? Lipid droplets. So whenever you have like fracture, that fat in the bone marrow leaks into the interarticular space. And so you might get hemarthrosis, but you notice there is like, just like oil and water separate, there's lipid droplets in there. And that should raise your suspicion that you have a fracture. Um, and in this case, a tibial plateau fracture, and you, know, you get an x-ray um, would reveal it. But if your suspicion is high enough and you don't see it on a plain film, go ahead and get your MRI. Um, and quickly, we'll go over some, there, there's three additional things that you think of in acute setting for kids. So tibial eminence fracture, that's also known as a tibial spine fracture. Who knows what that is? Okay, so spine, think of where that ACL connects in the middle of that tibial plateau. Kind of have the, the plateaus where the condyles sit, but then in the middle, it kind of raises up like a spine or an eminence. And that's where your ACL attaches anteriorly. And that um, essentially, uh, instead of tearing your ACL, uh, you, you get a, um, a bulging fracture. Let's see if I so this, so the ACL tearing the, the, the bone, you get basically a, get an avulsion fracture. Okay. Those aren't labeled on there, but that's okay. Um, so tibial eminence fracture, uh, if, if it's non-displaced, you just cast. Extension, but if there's a significant displacement, that that needs to heal there. This and so this is in your pediatric population. It's not completely ossified or they haven't reached skeletal maturity, and so you you need that to be fused uh, properly. So um, I don't know if you can see that little disruption there. Okay, two tibial tuberosity uh, avulsion. So this is essentially this similar um, high amounts of loading to that ligament, but instead of the ligament rupturing or the tendon rupturing, it's the bony attachment. And so we saw this uh, x-ray already. Um, you know, when it's, when it's chronic, this is what we call bladder syndrome. Um, you have that like, tender uh, tibial tuberosity. And then finally, this is an interesting one that um, I actually hadn't seen prior to preparing for this, but patellar sleeve avulsion. Uh, so the patella is, sits within the sleeve you know, fibrous ligaments, tendons, excuse me, and that too can uh, tear essentially. And uh, it's normally the inferior aspect, and most of these will require uh, orthopedic management and to do a 
open reduction internal fixation. Okay. Well, thank you all for bearing through this lecture. I threw this one in there in case we had time. I was just going to go over more biomechanics and marvel at the engineering of God. But uh, you all are free to go. And if anyone are interested, I can geek out on this later. <laughs>